Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Morning everybody, this is Louise Greenwood. I'm Director of Education and Training at Wessex LMCs. And this morning, Sarah Kay, who's one of our GP clinical fellows and has had experience um, as an over 75 doctor in Dorchester, is talking to Wendy Thorogood, nurse consultant for safeguarding. And in these times of sort of COVID-19, we're particularly focusing today on social isolation in the elderly. So Wendy and Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Hello, Louise. Thanks for inviting us. So, Wendy, um, obviously difficult times. Um, I wonder if you'd just like to say a little bit about your concerns and then Sarah, as a GP, can just um, can just add um, her experience. Safeguarding is about um, getting in early prevention and protecting the vulnerable adult. This is going to be a time where we're going to be having our social, our social support diminish and that's our main concern in what we can actually offer um, as medical practitioners to keep the conversations going and to keep um, focused in relation to making sure that we are aware of their welfare and needs. Yes, I think that's very interesting, Wendy. I think that quite often as a GP who does frailty work, there gets to a point where you speak to somebody over the phone, you may feel like you're not quite sure what's going on their end and you want to, to go round and see what's happening and see the state of their house and see how they're coping. And, of course, the advice for them and for us is that we should really minimise visits wherever possible at the moment um, because of possible COVID-19 transmissions, which does mean that it's a completely different ballgame trying to look after this vulnerable group. Yeah, I guess it's knowing who is actually going to be a key person um, that can support because sometimes we do know that there are kindly neighbours that will be checking in and um, it may be that we need to check in with them to see if they're still receiving any contact. Is that possible, do you think? I think it's always very tricky. I mean, certainly some patients who are housebound will have given their GP surgery some contact numbers and permission to discuss their medical matters with a good friend, for example, or a daughter-in-law. Um, so I certainly think where possible, it may well be useful, as always, to triangulate information with other people who are involved in care. But um, in this situation, I think it's going to be very important that actually those informal caregivers are being really careful not to put themselves at any risk or to expose the vulnerable person to any risk. So they also need to follow the advice if these people are being shielded. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, we can talk about sort of communication through windows um, and just checking um, with the milk, you know, if they are actually getting their food and supplies, that's going to be possibly the help of a sort of like the wider community response um, and knowing that they can contact the GP if they're concerned about a person, um, yes. not necessarily whether they're actually ill, but whether they're actually just showing signs of, of um, increased mental anxiety. Yeah, um, and I certainly think people's mental health is going to be really quite a challenge at this time um, when they can't go out and about and, and attend, for example, their normal activities, whether that be a day centre or bingo or, or whatever it is. Um, certainly things are going to feel very different in a, in a not good way for the, this group of patients, sadly. And equally, some of the support networks, such as Age Concern, are not going to be active purely because of their age. Absolutely. I mean, Age Concern is a fantastic organisation, which I've used on many occasions, and Citizens Advice, but both of those are quite often staffed by volunteers, quite often who are retired people themselves, who may, for, um, for, for their own reasons, need to be um, self-isolating or, or shielding, depending on what, what own health conditions those volunteers have. So, again, I think the infrastructure is very changed, um, along with other groups. Obviously, we're finding that in general practice as well. 
a lot of practices have had been impacted by workforce issues because of staff needing to self-isolate due to children being unwell, their own children or, or themselves being unwell and not wanting to put any patients at risk. So all of a sudden, it's a very movable feast. It's a very different landscape compared with, let's say, two weeks ago. Yeah. And there, there aren't, am I right in thinking that if um, a person doesn't actually request their normal medication, that there aren't triggers in place to actually um, be concerned that someone isn't requesting? Not as far as I know. Um, certainly, uh, quite often, the chemist, if they've got an arrangement that the chemist will request it automatically, um, so we wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that's good, they've requested their medication, they're definitely, you know, alive and well, because actually that may be an automatic request for out of the pharmacy. Um, and again, if um, things are sent to the pharmacy, I mean, I, I think that pharmacies, particularly in rural areas, tend to be quite good at knowing who are the um, vulnerable patients, and quite often they will have deliveries once a week, for example, to those patients. But as a GP, I would have no way of knowing whether um, the delivery person knocked on their door on the Thursday delivery round and... and you know, didn't have anyone answer. I wouldn't know that as a GP. No. So it's going to be quite concerning. So we are relying on the um, community to sort of be the eyes and the ears, aren't we? I think um, so. And I think that, um, you know, one of the positive things so far is that there has been a community awareness that actually elderly people are going to need support. And um, certainly in various places across the country, there have been organised sort of COVID-19 support groups. And I think that the advice um, from where I am has been that if anybody would like to get involved with supporting um, elderly, elderly and vulnerable people in their own community, that they should do so through one of these groups. So it's structured and that guidance can be given and, and maybe an element of, of training. I don't know how advanced that training is. Um, and, and things that would constitute good practice. For example, if you're doing shopping for somebody, you need to make sure that you take a, um, a photo of receipts um, so that clearly there's a record and that, that no financial exploitation um, is going to happen because it's very clear um, all the transactions that you've been doing on their behalf. That's a really good point, actually, because there is that concern that there will be people out there that are willing to exploit, um, you know, and actually act on their own behalf for their own profits, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think that this kind of crisis does bring out the best in many people and sadly the worst in a few. Um, and I guess that given that we live in an imperfect world, we've always got to be aware that, you know, there may be people going about things for the wrong reasons. And it would be good if somebody is signing up that they actually form a relationship with the GP practice, even if it's remotely, to say which people that they're actually working with, wouldn't it? So they know which GP practice is. So if there are concerns, they could contact them on their behalf if the person didn't feel able to. I agree that that would be ideal, but on, on a practical level, Wendy, I have to say I'm not quite sure how that would work, and obviously the person would have to consent to that yeah. Yeah. sharing of information as well. Um, interestingly, the announcement last night from Matt Hancock talked about a quarter of a million NHS volunteers, and um, it's unclear to me as a professional as yet, obviously it's all very emergent, this detail, um, what those volunteers are going to be doing. I know that it was mentioned that they would be delivering medication, for example, um, and again, quite what level of support or training or um, framework they're going to be given to work in remains to be seen at this point in time. Yeah. Do you think the GP practices <coughs> will know the person or the people that they're most concerned about, and will there be discussions happening in the yeah. practice? I think so. I mean, I think that most practices already have a frailty meeting, um, maybe every once, once a month or once every two months. Um, and certainly that's quite often attended by 
um, the social work team, maybe the hub team that would constitute um, perhaps the physios or the community rehab team or occupational therapists who work there. So um, certainly practices should have a good idea about who's, who is going to be really stuck with these new um, measures that have been put in place. Um, and of course, that, you know, there will be a huge difference between people who have, you know, live in the annex to their daughter-in-law, for example, um, or who have kind of a, a son who lives across the road who's going to clearly take good care of them, and people who have nobody. And it's always amazed me how many elderly people in our community do have very, very limited social support, even at, at the best of times, let alone now. And possibly in quite rural patches as well, knowing our um, demographic area. Yeah, indeed. And I think that that's, um, that is going to bring additional concerns. You know, when people have got to do high mileage to check on a neighbour, perhaps they're going to be less limited, you know, you know more, more limited in terms of how often they can pop round or um, perhaps less motivated. I don't know. I mean, there are some, certainly some very, very good neighbours that I've seen um, who are looking after people who they're not related to um, that I've met through my practice in Dorset since working here. Um, but again, it's very variable and people's circumstances vary hugely. So it's important that the frailty meetings amongst everything that's happening, that is reviewed, so you're saying every couple of months, so at this point it's still worth remembering that social care and certain networks will still be out there and working and it's not just the medical responsibility, isn't it? I think so. It's about finding out exactly who is doing what yeah. um, because the GP can't, everything to everyone. No, particularly when, when we're suffering from low workforce ourselves. Um, I mean, the, the government I know sent out letters this week to those who should be shielded, um, but has asked GPs to look through their list for anyone who, who might have got missed in that process, because I believe that they did a secondary care tool to try and get that initial list. So um, when GP practices are sitting down thinking about their vulnerable patients, that might be a good time um, that they should be thinking about this kind of thing. Um, that, that, that there are no easy answers, I'm afraid. No, no. But I guess if you've, you've got a list, it is worth actually just having that um, telephone call to social work to see exactly what is going in and what is being put in place for them. Because it is the social side, not the medical side, um, of, of the isolation, isn't it? It's um, going to be that remote contact with that person. Um, yes, they can't just stand back. I mean, of course, you know, not everybody will necessarily have uh, official, uh, formal social workers involved with them. It may well be that it's more informal carers. So perhaps somebody like a carer's lead within the practice could be asked to um, initially get some information about these people, about who's involved in their lives, or if there is an over-75 GP. Again, that's something that, that I would be very happy to be involved in in, in my role where I work, um, because all of that information is really vital. Yeah, yeah, and like you say, you know, some of these people will not have anyone. And then it's equally the carers that could be caring for somebody that equally is perhaps in late 70s, early 80s, but still caring for someone vulnerable. So what sort of pathway would be in place for the carers? Um, do you mean informal carers like um, friends and family, or do you mean formal carers through an agency? I, I mean um, partners. So they're looking after their wife, say, who has oh, dementia, and that they're in their 80s. So they're equally as frail, really, but have been um, yes. the carer that could possibly be at risk because they're going out and doing the shopping. Um, and yes, if something actually happened to that carer. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly, you know, many examples I can think of of people who are codependent within couples on each other. 
Um, and like you say, you know, maybe one has got more health needs, um, the other one is going out and about. I suppose it's important that everyone's aware of the washing hands details. You know, so when they've been, if they have to go out to get food, um, that they wash hands. But ideally, of course, what would be better is if they could delegate getting food to somebody else um, yeah. to, to remove that chance of, of infection one step further away. Um, because it's certainly not ideal having one partner out and about if the other person is needing to be shielded. And I guess it's um, if they come in contact with the carer, um, GPs or health professionals could be reminding them of that, that they could ask help so to keep themselves protected because I don't always think they put themselves first, do they? Absolutely. We know that carers have quite poor health outcomes because they're generally running around looking after the person that they care for and they're not putting their own well-being first. So certainly if, um, as a GP, I was having a phone call about somebody's well-being, I think trying to deliver health promotion advice, as always, but even more so than ever, would be really, really important. Yeah. And it is that health promotional advice that if we do have contact um, with the carers or even the vulnerable people, it's about keeping themselves well, what they can do, isn't it? So Absolutely. So eating well, sleeping well, um, and actually trying to exercise. I mean, this is something that I'm particularly interested in because I'm a physical activity clinical champion for Public Health England. Um, but we know that physical exercise is really important for physical and mental health for anybody of any age. Um, but actually, there is some evidence that came out recently from the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine um, by the University of Oxford and reminding people who are maybe isolated or being shielded that actually exercise inside the home is really important um, because otherwise if people don't use their muscles, they will decondition. So um, people should be trying to um, exercise in their own homes as, as often as they can, even if that's quite limited, um, so that you don't need to go walk into town to get your exercise you should do what you can do um, in your own home to reduce the risk of contracting COVID-19. So what sort of things would you suggest in relation to physical activity? Um, well, there are various things that um, you can do, but um, you can do chair-based exercises even for people who are in wheelchairs. So quite often, if I'm um, out and about in a residential home and somebody is, is limited in terms of what they can manage, even if they can sit and lift, lift their knees up to the ceiling, um, you know, a, a couple of inches on either side and take turns, you know, that will be keeping the strength up in their legs or even extending their feet out, um, again, doing that 10 times. You know, any kind of movement is better than nothing. Um, but certainly in the home environment, you could um, ask them to lift some baked beans up, um, you know, one tin in either hand. It could be really quite simple. Um, or marching on the spot, that would be a good way of getting some exercise in too. Yeah, moving to music. And, and equally, there's lots of things on telly that are springing up, aren't there, in relation to just keep moving. Um, Absolutely. Stairs, walk up and down the stairs a few times extra. But keeping yeah. hydrated as well, um, making sure that they are drinking regularly and they have actually got access to, um, sort of, if they haven't got access to fresh food, um, it's about taking some vitamins, would you suggest? Or? Well, I mean, I think if you have a, a, a full and healthy, balanced diet, you shouldn't necessarily need to supplement with vitamins. Um, I'm not sure that there's an evidence base for that, but I don't think it would do any harm. Um, and certainly since few people probably have completely perfect diets, it's maybe not a bad idea. Um, so that's something that people could perhaps consider. Yeah. And, of course, they can order food online so they can sort of have choices. And they'd yeah. be supplemented, wouldn't they, if they don't actually get their first choice? Yes, I mean, that's a really interesting point, Wendy. I mean, I think that 
Um, there are some people who are older who are getting quite good, for example, at FaceTime technology oh. to, um, or Skype to get, keep in contact with friends and family. Um, but equally, there are some people who don't even own a mobile phone who live um, around the country who are in their 80s or 90s. Yeah. So again, there's a huge variability in terms of people's needs and um, uh, ability to engage with outside services. So um, certainly it's, I think, useful to ask whether people have a, an iPad, you know, whether people know how to use it, what they know how to do, for example. Um, yeah. And it may be as time goes on that we need to give more specific information about, um, you know, I, iPad tips for older people, um, for example. Um, but certainly that's something that, that is not open to everybody. And I think, like everything, there's quite often a, a financial barrier and those who are more deprived... Mm. may may not um, be able to access it. And also, again, quite often it's younger relatives who would order an iPad, set up an iPad, you know, sort the internet out and do that initial setup. Quite often people are able to use um, technology if it's kind of given to them as a ready, in a ready-to-go stage, um, but yeah. wouldn't necessarily be able to, to set it up. So, again, that's something that perhaps we could um, say to our, our patients, perhaps those who've got relatives who live a long way away, you know, could, could you ask your grandson granddaughter to bring you an iPad could you get them um, if they're going to be um, if they're going to be visiting um, and and to leave it outside your door with some instructions about how to how to use it um, yeah. but of course it is going to be very challenging trying to explain that to somebody who's not used to technology when you're not sat right beside them I guess it would give the GP an understanding of exactly what interaction they're getting though um, for the social isolation really if, if they don't have any access to that um, again, that may be increasing the risk to actually require or trigger a social care um, alert um, if, we, if you really thought someone was in and suffering and you could... And have nobody to talk to, yeah. 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 Um, do you know of any um, helplines that are there for the elderly um, that would be giving sort of different messages to them if they were to call and have a phone conversation? I'm wondering if age concern are changing the way they're working? Have you heard anything? Um, so I have heard that certainly Dorset Council has got a coronavirus page um, and I believe that age concern is on it. So there must be some sort of operational activity ongoing um, but as we said that may well be reduced compared with usual. Mm. So I think that it's probably worth people looking at their local councils um, and seeing what the community response is going on and seeing if there are any key um, stakeholders who are listed there. Citizens' advice um, is certainly on there and Dorset Community Action is also listed um, along with food banks and I know that food banks are changing the way that they distribute food as well. So I think that you know people who do work with vulnerable families and old adults are really aware that actually people are going to be people who are you know having difficulties even a month ago, are going to be having more difficulties because of the situation that we're living through now. Mm. So I think that everyone's very aware that they want to keep a core service going, if at all possible. But needless to say, I think that's going to vary from area to area and also from day to day. Yeah, and from my perspective, it is that contextual safeguarding element. It's the wider community who actually identify who they consider to be most at risk. Um, and even, as I say, dropping a letter through um, suggesting if they need help and support because a lot of these people may have the food and support. They may be getting food delivered. They may be having a milkman and possibly not, um, you know, they are still living their life. That's how they live it. There will be people that 
are quite happy living isolated. Mm. And we may be more concerned when it's not necessary. Yes, I mean, it's an interesting point. Um, just this weekend, actually, I spotted quite a few very, very elderly people um, in my hometown who were out and about. And actually, sometimes I think there's an issue with information not being cascaded, or, you know, maybe it's like water off a duck's back. But there were certainly a lot of people who I saw in the shops at the weekend who I thought were just from, from 10 paces, you know, I'd never met them before, but I thought, you shouldn't be here. Um, and I think that sometimes people can take that attitude of, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I always walk into town, that's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, maybe they're less tuned into social media, maybe they're not looking at the news, maybe they're not listening to the radio so much, or maybe they are, and they're just thinking that, you know, they're not, not going to comply. So I think that there's a variety of challenges, um, but certainly trying to keep people safe is has got to be very, very high up our list. Thank you, Sarah. I think that's really interesting. I think it's just such tough times for us at the moment, isn't it? And um, you've given, both of you have given us massive food for thought. So um, thank you very much. Um, and um, thank you, and we'll speak soon. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.